Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 115th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, cybersecurity, and information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is e-discovery before and after COVID-19. What to expect? Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Logical, instant discovery software for modern legal teams. Logical offers perfectly predictable pricing at just $250 per matter per month. Create your free account at any time at Logical.com. That's Logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, PINow.com. If you need a private investigator you can trust, visit PINow.com to learn more. Today, our guest is Doug Austin, an established e-discovery thought leader with over 30 years of experience providing e-discovery best practices, legal technology consulting, and technical project management services to numerous commercial and government clients. Doug has published a daily blog since 2010, and has written numerous articles and white papers. Doug has presented at numerous events and conferences, including Legal Tech New York, ILTACON, Relativity Fest, University of Florida eDiscovery Conference, Master's Conference, and many local and regional conferences. Doug has also presented numerous CLE-accredited webcasts. And as, as usual, it's great to have you back with us again, Doug. Well, thanks for having me. I always, love, uh, always have a lot of fun being on Digital Detectives Talking Shop with the two of you. <laughs> well, it's a yippee kind of day because you have a brand new blog, eDiscovery Today. So congratulations on that. And tell us how this particular blog will be different from your previous blog, which, as you know, I adored. Well, thank you, uh, Sharon. And yes, I am very happy about that. Well, first, let me talk about how it'll be the same. Just like my previous blog, eDiscovery Daily, eDiscovery Today will involve daily coverage of eDiscovery, cybersecurity, and data privacy trends, best practices, and case law. So people who've come, come to expect a daily post from me there can expect the same here. What will be different is that, that now I've got the flexibility to cover a lot more topics as an independent blog than I did as part of Cloud9. I'm grateful to Cloud9 for giving me a platform for blogging for nearly 10 years, and they never really tried to dictate what I covered, but it was still understood there were certain topics that you can't uh, or shouldn't cover as a provider blog. But now I've got complete flexibility to cover whatever I want with eDiscovery today, including the ability to cover interesting stories from pretty much any eDiscovery provider out there. The other thing I think that'll make eDiscovery today unique is that I often may cover more than one story a day. At Cloud9, I had a day job, so my blogging time was limited. But at least for now, with eDiscovery today, I've got more time to find interesting topics to bring to my audience. So I often find a couple of topics a day, many days to cover. I'm not going as far as considering changing the name to eDiscovery Hourly, uh, but I'll have the, <laughs> the ability to expand my coverage to even more topics than I did before. 
Yeah, I'd worry about that hourly change. <laughs> yeah, you need to you need to have a life. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. <laughs> there's there's this overrated thing called sleep, Doug. Um, <laughs> I, it is overrated at times, unfortunately. Well, Doug, since, since your your blog focuses attorney education, tell us a little bit about your observation on the state of lawyer competence in, in e-discovery today, and I'll be curious if it's similar to ours. <laughs> Well, and I think we've talked about this before. I think it's marginally improved, but I definitely think it still has a long way to go. According to Bob Ambrogi's excellent Law Sites blog, we do now have 38 states that have adopted the duty of technology competence inspired by ABA Model Rule 1.1. So that's some progress. But last I checked, I think only two of them, Florida and North Carolina, have added a required technology component to their CLE requirements. So for most states, the duty of technology competence isn't backed up by any formalized requirement to develop that competence. As for e-discovery, we only have one state, California, that's issued any formal guidance, and that's in the form of an opinion, on e-discovery competence. And ironically, they're still one of the states that's yet to adopt the duty of technology competence, so (laughs) go figure. (laughs) There's also a few law schools with terrific e-discovery programs, like the one Bill Hamilton runs at the University of Florida, and Craig Ball has has taught e-discovery at the University of Texas for years. But from everything I've heard out there, law school programs teaching e-discovery are still pretty few and far between, unfortunately. How have the educational resources impacted attorney education? Well, there's lots of free education out there. Blogs like eDiscovery Today, Craig's Ball in Your Court blog, and Sharon, Your Ride the Lightning blog, resources like those you'll find on on the EDRM site, plenty of other free publications like Rob Robinson's Complex Discovery site. There's even plenty of opportunities right now for free CLE education, more CLE-based webinars than ever since the pandemic began so lawyers don't have to pay to keep their CLE requirements current. And many in the the e-discovery community are very generous with their time and resources when it comes to education. Craig has written free primers on things like production formats, processing, and social media preservation. All of EDRM's resources are free for use. As long as you attribute where you got it, you can use and benefit from it. And even e-discovery providers are doing a lot there. You're seeing companies like Relativity, Xtero, iPro, Haystack ID as just some examples of companies that have great educational programs. And it really benefits those companies to do so. The companies that tend to take education seriously are, I think, themselves taken more seriously in the marketplace. So to coin a phrase, there's plenty of water to lead the horses to. It's just a matter of getting them to drink. <laughs> and, <laughs> we, we, we know how that turns out. <laughs> yeah, right. Unfortunately, we, um, we've still seen many high profile failures of attorneys to adhere to e-discovery best practices and often with disastrous results and not just at smaller firms, but at large firms, corporations and government agencies. So there's still a long way to go. But the resources, I feel, are there. Well, Doug, before the pandemic changed everything, are, are there any recent e-discovery trends that, that you've observed? Yeah, you really do have to kind of talk before, tam- before pandemic and after pandemic, don't you? Um, yeah. Certainly. <laughs> but one trend that I've seen over the past probably year plus is an increasing variety of sources uh, to manage these days has caused a greater focus on the left side of the EDRM model by the market. You're now dealing with collection from Office 365 and G Suite, from mobile devices, 
from messaging platforms like Slack and Skype and Teams and from social media sites. And that's become the new significant challenge that organizations are having to address because these sources of data are much more routinely discoverable. And it's not just about collection from these sources. It's also about presentation of them in a usable form that's even a bigger challenge. Unlike emails, which generally store the entire thread of the conversation to that point, making each email a self-contained conversation, text messages are simply an individual response within a conversation. So you've got to piece back together the conversation, the, the messages into a conversation for review. And we're starting to see providers focus on solutions that address that need. I know when I was on the program last time, I used the Yogi Berra quote regarding email and the fact that we all get so many emails, we turn to texts and messaging apps for urgent communications. But that's why these sources of ESI are almost always discoverable, as discoverable these days and why there's so much focus on addressing them. Of course, cybersecurity and data privacy also have become so intertwined with e-discovery that you simply have to address those as part of the landscape these days. We continue to see more high-profile data breaches with law firms and e-discovery providers out there, and we also continue to see more data privacy legislation. So every company simply has to account for both cybersecurity and data privacy these days as part of their e-discovery workflow. It's been quite a challenge, hasn't it? It has, and, and it's continually changing. So that's one of the things that uh, makes companies have to continually change their e-discovery workflow to uh, account for it. Well, as, as someone who practices in cybersecurity, that kind of makes me happy. <laughs> right. Sure, I'm sure it does. <laughs> well, Doug, your blog, your former blog, has always been known for its case law coverage. And it was, honestly, it was my go-to way to follow the cases was, was to look at your, your blog. So what recent case law trends have you seen out in the wild? Well, first of all, thank you. I've always covered, and I, I will continue to cover about 60 to 70 cases a year, thanks in large part to Kelly Twigger and her, and her eDiscovery Assistant platform where I get all my cases. If I were probably to say what's kind of recent uh, trends, I'd probably say there are at least three trends that I've seen emerge from my recent case law coverage. First, we're certainly seeing more form of production disputes where finally more requesting parties are asking for native formats that maximize the metadata they can receive. You know, we just discussed that in an ACEDS webinar I did last week, and actually you can watch that webinar on eDiscovery today. I posted it up on a post it last week, so certainly you can check that out. I'd say this, the next trend I've seen are a lot more cases related to third-party discovery and motions to compel. It seems as though requesting parties are turning to other sources to get the discovery that they can't seem to get from the producing parties themselves. So there have been a lot more disputes that have been focused on relevancy and possession, custody, and control from those third parties. And finally, maybe the biggest one that I've seen is more cases related to spoliation sanction requests for failing to preserve mobile device data, especially related to failure to suspend automatic deletion of text and sometimes other mess messaging apps as well. Parties aren't doing a good job to update their preservation processes to ensure that mobile devices and messaging apps are accounted for. And custodians, unfortunately, sometimes even outright discard their mobile devices without preserving the data first, and oftentimes don't still get severe sanctions for doing so. So I expect we're going to see more and more of those cases as well. Yeah, I have no doubt you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, for sure. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Trying to cut costs? 
you're not alone. In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit logical.com slash LTN. That's logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is e-discovery before and after COVID-19, what to expect. Today, our guest is Doug Austin, an established e-discovery thought leader with over 30 years of experience providing e-discovery best practices, legal technology consulting, and technical project management services to numerous commercial and government clients. Well, Doug, how, how do you think the, this pandemic is, is ultimately going to impact the, the legal profession? I know we've got tons of changes already, but specifically the, the e-discovery uh, industry in particular. Well, I certainly think most of us agree that there will be a new normal of remote work and collaboration. Suddenly, many companies have had to take a look at their business continuity plans, or maybe they've had to even create them in the first place and make sure they account for this new normal of remote work. We had a business continuity plan at Cloud9 when I was there, and we actually had to act on it once before. Back in 2017, when Houston was hit by Hurricane Harvey, And our entire office had to uh, work from home for the entire week afterward because many roads leading to the office were flooded for days. We all worked from home and we didn't miss a beat. So business continuity has become so much more important for pretty much every business out there as a result of the pandemic, whether they're in e-discovery or not. Certainly, I also feel that the increase in remote workers, unfortunately, is also going to increase in vulnerability of companies to hackers. Let's face it, the more openings into a company, the more likely a hacker can find one to exploit. Everybody may be using a different type of computer and a different ISP setup, and companies are going to have to ensure or try to ensure some standardization to minimize their exposure. Unfortunately, many won't do it or many won't do it fast enough. And I'm afraid we're going to see data breaches go up and probably way up. From an e-discovery specific standpoint, I would definitely say that the importance of discovering audio and video is also likely to go way up as companies uh, are likely going to have exponentially more audio and video recordings from Zoom and other web, web conferencing platforms than ever before. They're going to take the opportunity to preserve that record for uh, all these meetings that they're having, and there's going to be a lot more audio and video files out there. So in my opinion, audio and video discovery just took a huge leap in importance from an e-discovery standpoint, and I think you're going to see that companies are going to really try to work on solutions to even improve the ability to handle those forms of electronically stored information. 
Unsurprisingly, I totally agree with that. Um, both the the new audiovisual evidence we're going to see, because everybody is now doing things via Zoom or some other platform like that, and also the uh, at the endpoint protections. You're quite right that the remote working is a threat, and I, I can remember one day we did 20 contracts for endpoint protection from law firms who are clients who we had pleaded to get the endpoint protection extended and they they didn't want it until they realized how vulnerable they were when they were working for home that's a very good point to underscore yeah i like the analogy you know somebody i, I read an analogy somewhere what what's easier to break into a bunker with one entrance or a mansion with you know 35 windows and five doors you know obviously all you have to do is find one entry point and you're in and it's much easier to do now mm-hmm it is much easier to do. Yeah, and I, I think the same thing, that we're going to see some really bad leakages and breaches. So that'll be interesting to, to monitor over time. Yeah, we already have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have. We have indeed. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be curious to see what that celebrity law firm, uh, how they got into there, but we don't know that yet. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do you think e-discovery providers need to do to emerge from this pandemic successfully? Because I know even a lot of law firms are worried about that. Sure. Uh, well, so I just read an article this morning that discussed the possibility that companies may exercise the force majeure clauses in their contracts to free them from obligations, either temporarily or permanently. So that's certainly one concern that companies have to deal with. And as you guys know, many e-discovery relationships can be as much as four or five companies deep. You'll have a corporation which uses a law firm for litigation, and that law firm outsources work to an e-discovery service provider, which in turn uses one or more e-discovery software provider to provide those services. And maybe one of those software providers outsources work to a managed review provider. So if that corporation struggles, it impacts four other companies. So to the extent possible, I think providers are going to have to be prepared to be flexible with their customers, as some of them may need to delay payments and extend terms. Those who do, I believe, will build loyalty for the long term. Providers that take a hard line on payments, they may uh, sacrifice a relationship in the long run just to maintain that short-term cash flow. So that's certainly one of the things I think that companies will need to do is kind of recognize the situation everybody's in and uh, work with their customers. Well, well, Doug, it's 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 no secret the unemployment rate just continues to slope upward, and I don't know when, if if ever, it's going to start to to turn around. But what what recommendations would you have for for all the legal professionals that have lost their jobs as a result of this pandemic? Well, first, I can say that I feel your pain as I'm one of you. I lost my job at the beginning of April. I wrote a two part blog post with considerations for those displaced, with my own recommendations and those of Jared Casale of True Staffing who indicated that he's seen a huge increase in resumes submitted, not surprisingly. Certainly, now's the time to get your certifications, which will help boost your resume as you job hunt. And we're seeing some providers, uh, EDT Software is an example, uh, offering those for free for people who are out of work. Another thing I would say is be as active as you can be on social media. Jared had a great quote in our article. He said, 90% of credibility is visibility, and I couldn't agree more. Catch up on your reading. There's, as we already said, there's many resources, terrific resources out there, including your blog, Sharon, my blog, and other sites. Attend webinars. Again, there's many free webinars out there, as it's right now one of the primary ways providers can reach out to the market. And while you 
should certainly make sure to coordinate your job search through a recruiter. Also reach out to your inner circle. They may not have a job for you, but many of them can offer advice and other support. E-Discovery today exists in large part to support from Craig Ball and from Mary Mack and Kaylee Walstead of EDRM. They offer to be foundational sponsors of my new blog, which really helped me get it launched quickly and successfully. And now I have my first educational sponsor, Haystack ID, with hopefully more to announce very soon. And all of that started for me by reaching out to my inner circle. Well, that's wonderful advice. And I especially love that quote, 95% of credibility is visibility. That's, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that one. Doug. <laughs> that's a good one to steal. I've stolen it already too. <laughs> now, do you think that there are, is any good news that will come out of the pandemic for legal professionals? Because I know John and I do think that there are some positives, but what, what do you think? Well, I almost hate to classify this as good news, but in our industry, it is good news. Um, Many people do expect a ton of litigation to result from the pandemic and the corresponding economic, economic crisis. And we're certainly already starting to see some of that. LinkedIn published, uh, recently published a workforce confidence index, which indicated that those in the legal profession were feeling more secure in their profession than any other industry except for public administration. And we know those jobs aren't going anywhere. So I feel the jobs are coming back. It's really, I think, just a matter of when. I also think that the forced move toward remote work has opened up job opportunities to any location as opposed to requiring job positions to be filled in a particular job market. We were already seeing more remote work scenarios even before the pandemic, but it's certainly been accelerated considerably since. So I think smart employers will snap up qualified candidates, even if they're not located in their primary markets, and they'll figure out how to get the most out of them where they are located. Well, Doug, final final question for you. Do you have any remaining final thoughts or recommendations for our listeners? Well, you know, the saying, at least you have your health, maybe try it, but it's also never been more appropriate, too. If you're healthy, count your blessings. Do everything possible to stay safe and stay well. That's really the most important thing. The business and job challenges are short-term, and they'll get better. I truly believe that, and I, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. Well, that's very inspiring, and, and we sure thank you for being our guest today, Doug. I, I know you and I have been professional friends for a long time, admired each other's work, and I, I have had the opportunity, the splendid opportunity, of watching you and, and your good work now for so many years that, as you know, I said, use me as a reference. Um, so I hope <laughs> I that anybody that. on this list, who uh, anybody listening to us, I'm certainly willing to talk with you about how much I've admired Doug for how long and why. And thank you for just sharing your thoughts with us today. It's, it's a, such a strange time, but I like the fact that you ended on such an inspirational note. That's just the kind of guy you are. <laughs> well, thank you, Sharon. And thank you, John. I appreciate that. Certainly, as always, I, I had a great time uh, discussing trends with you, and I really enjoy your d- digital detective series. I never miss one of your interviews. And if, you know, if you'll allow me to end on one last shameless plug, I hope everybody will check out my new blog, eDiscovery Today. That's eDiscoverytoday.com altogether with no dashes. So, you know, I can't help but end with a shameless plug, but I do appreciate the support. <laughs> and and thanks for thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, I'm already a subscriber, but I agree. It's good advice <laughs> to be a subscriber. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. 
And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and cybersecurity services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.